Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries. And it's glad to have you listening with us. We are in the, studying in the book of James, and as with any study of the Bible, we must first read the word. So let's go ahead and let's get started. Now last time we left off with the verse 12 in James. So we're going to start by reading and picking up with verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin. When it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now as we get into verse 13 and 14, and we start to unpack this section, we need to visit quickly about temptation. Let us be careful where we lay the blame of temptation. It's important to remember God cannot be tempted, because his very nature is holy, and there is nothing in him to which sin could appeal. Temptation does not come from God, because God himself can't be success successfully tempted by evil. His omnipotent holy will fully resists any invitation to sin. Now you noticed I used the word omnipotent. Omnipotent is used to describe the deity of God, one of the ways. It means being all-powerful. God can do anything. God's power has no limits. And furthermore, in God there is not the slightest moral depravity to which temptation can appeal. Therefore, it's inconsistent to think that God could be the author of temptation. Instead, the source of temptation lies within a person. One is tempted by his own evil desire, our old sin nature. James personifies a person's sinful desire and identifies it rather than some external person or object as the efficient cause of temptation. By one's own sinful nature, a person is dragged away and enticed. Now, James pictures a person's evil desire by first as attracting a person's attention and persuading him to approach the forbidden thing, and then secondly, as luring him by means of bait to yield to the temptation. Now, I want to take a moment to mention testing. Testing is different than temptation. Testing of character comes from God. Now, this refers to the temptations or the trials that test an individual's moral strength. God tests us in order to confirm our faith and to prove our commitment. Because character that is never tested, it has no value. But there is joy in overcoming. There is no greater satisfaction than to know that you have resisted temptation victoriously. But remember, 
Temptations to do evil never come from God. They come from Satan through our own corrupt nature, appealing for us to meet a proper desire in an improper way. Now, Satan tempts us in order to make us fall. That's why he does it. The devil wants to keep us from a relationship from God, and he does anything and he does everything that he can to try and keep us away from God. Unholy temptations are meant to bring out the worse in us. And everyone is tempted. And again, this temptation comes from man's own evil nature. And also, I want you to remember this. It's not the act of being tempted that is sinful. But what is sinful is the giving into the temptation by not resisting it. That's where sin comes in. And that leads us into verse 15. Now here in verse 15, James uses an analogy of conception and birth to describe the experience of yielding to sin. The genealogy of sin, of evil, can be traced for three generations, as it were. The first temptation comes, then desire like a human mother conceives and gives birth to sin. The sin, the child of evil desire, develops till it is full grown and ready to produce its own offspring. When it conceives, it gives birth to death. Now, James isn't suggesting that only when sin has reached its full development does it result in death. The penalty of sin of any kind or extent is always spiritual death. That is the penalty for sin. The details of the illustration must not be pressed too far. James' intention is just simply to trace the results of temptation when one yields to it. Now, in verses 16 through 18, we're going to be discussing about the Christian's newborn soul. And in verse 16, as desire brings forth sin, and sin gives to death, so God, through his word and in the name of Christ, gives birth to the newborn souls in those who are destined to God's inheritance through the endless ages of eternity. Eternity is just that. It goes on forever. It's endless. Now, James starts off in verse 16 with the words, don't be deceived. Those words normally introduce a significant statement that follows. Keep in mind in Scripture, we find many beginning statements like this. Another example, very quickly, is when Jesus will say, most assuredly, I say to you, or behold. When you see statements like that, that is a way of grabbing your attention. It's a red flag, if you will. And it's saying, hey, listen up, because what I'm going to say next is very important, and it's worth remembering. And so now James here is giving us a warning against being deceived into thinking that God is the author of temptation. In fact, the specific Greek construction used here may imply that the people that James is addressing 
have been engaging in the practice that's being prohibited. So James is saying, stop being deceived, essentially. Instead of wrong things coming from God, we find that only good and perfect gifts come from above. They come from God. Now we move into verse 17, and this follows the significant statement that the prohibition of verse 16 was intended to introduce. Instead of God sending temptation, which we know that God doesn't, we see that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Our God is a God who loves to give. The fact of God's goodness rules out the possibility that he would send an influence as destructive as temptation. In fact, Alexander the Great supposedly said to one of his subjects who was overwhelmed by Alexander's the Great's generosity, says, I give as a king. Well, our king, who is our Father in heaven, gives to us the infinite God and infinite means, which are limitless, limited, uh, limitless and endless. That's what God does for us. God gives us limitless, limit, limitless and endless gifts. Now, God's gifts are marked by kindness and helpfulness, not destructiveness. God's gifts are perfect, which in this context excludes any possibility of moral evil as coming from God. And remember Christ's words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You can be assured of one thing, that you can trust God to give wonderful gifts. Now here also, in this verse, James designates God as the Father of lights which lights is presumed to be the stars and the planets. The term father that James uses here is the father of lights may have a twofold significance. It might be two points. Pointing to God as the creator of the lights is one, and his continuing sovereignty over them is the second. So we know God is the creator of the lights, and he has sovereignty over them. The words of no variation or shadow of turning. And keep in mind, some of you may have a little different version of the Bible that you're reading from. That's okay. You may have words like shifting shadows or something like that. But the meaning is the same, which is that the shadows are caused by the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, God doesn't change, and God will never change. That's a guarantee. With God, there is no variation at all. The shadows cast by the sun are minimal at noon, and just before sunset, they stretch out for yards across the landscape. They change, the shadows do. But God isn't like that. He doesn't change. He's not like the shadows. He don't change. 
God is always the giver of good gifts, and God is never a sadistic being who would entice his creatures to destroy themselves in sin. That is a fact. The old saying is you can take that to the bank. This is very important to remember. Now, finally, we're going to be getting into verse 18. And as we're led into verse 18, James advances his final reason for denying that God is the author of temptation. Rather than acting destructively, God acts constructively. God chose to give us birth, seeing that this birth is through the word of truth, which is through the gospel. This birth must be spiritual rather than natural. And God accomplishes this action by his own deliberate choice. Now think about that statement for a moment. God does nothing by accident. Everything God has done was by his own choice. So you were born because God wanted you to be with him. It was his design for you to be here. Now, God's purpose in regeneration is that we might be a kind of first fruits. Now, this figure that James has in mind, it's drawn from Old Testament passages, and we find some of those in Exodus chapter 34, verse 22, and we also find it in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10. Feel free to look those up. First fruits refer to the first portion of the harvest that's given to God. A foretaste of that which was to come. So it was that early Christians were a preliminary indication of the great host of people through subsequent centuries that would be born again. Think about those words, ponder on them. And next time we'll pick up with verse 19. We're going to start getting into the qualities needed in trials and the practice of the word. So thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless. And remember, keep living Christian strong.